Christmas New Year's Day. For those who are watching at a later time or listening to this on the radio or on a podcast, we're gathered here on the first Sunday of the year, which is 1st of January. And of course, on New Year's Day, we often talk about our resolutions. What kind of New Year's resolutions will we make? I've resolved this year to use more memes in my messages for the benefit of the young people. So here is Evil Bert saying there are literally no rules saying that your New Year's resolutions can't be for evil. Thank you to the young people who laughed. When we make our... Sorry? You're older than me. That's right. By the way, our, my, I'm now the majority. People my age and younger, we outnumber the rest of you. Okay? So if you think you're running the place, no, it's me and the young folk. Next week, it'll just be them. We often make resolutions, don't we? To lose weight or to get fit or to save more money or to work harder or to work less hard, take more holidays. We make all kinds of resolutions at this time of year and usually by February, we've lost them. We've lost our resolution, they've fallen by the wayside and we're back to our old ways of doing things. Because self-improvement is hard. As Calvin says to Hobbes, resolutions, me, just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. And eventually when it comes to February, we go, you know what? I was fine the way I was. I don't need to keep going with those old, those those New Year's resolutions. Bah, I'm fine the way I am. Self-improvement is hard. I'm like that. I make plans. I make resolutions. Sometimes I have charts and put things on Google Sheets and all the rest of it, and then it all just falls in a heap, and I go back to my old ways. I'm certainly that way with prayer. Prayer is something essential to the Christian life, something indispensable, and yet most Christians dispense with it quickly and regularly and hardly take time to pray from one day to the next. But we ought not give up. Prayer is important. It's vital. It's for all Christians. It's for the old and the young. It's for the newly converted and for the ancient saints. Prayer is for all of us. And over these next few weeks, I'll be bringing some messages on prayer as we get ready, as we plan our new year as we make plans and resolutions and settle into rhythms and make decisions about work and life and family and our obligations. And in the center of all that, we need to place our relationship with God, our spiritual life. God wants to be at the heart of who we are, the center around which everything else orbits. He's not an optional extra that we chuck in on top of everything else. God is the one in whom we live and breathe, and have our being. And at the heart of any relationship is communication, sharing who we are and our needs and desires and reality with another person. And prayer is quite simply just us talking to God. And it's necessary for our relationship. You know, we learn about God by listening to Jesus, the Son of God the only begotten, the one and only. We've sung those words this morning. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Greek is monogenes, the one and a kind. Mono, one genus of a kind. He is the one and only, one of a kind, the son of God. He's the one who shows us what God is really like. 
We talked about this in our Advent services a few weeks ago. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. We learn about God by listening to Jesus. And we learn about Jesus by reading the Gospels, the books that talk about this extraordinary experience of God becoming a man and walking about amongst us. And in the Gospels, we hear the words of Jesus. Some Bibles have the words of Jesus written in red, so it's easy to distinguish what Jesus is saying. And the different Gospels have different amounts of red writing. And in Matthew's Gospel, we find fairly on three completely red chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out for the world what it means to be a follower of him, to be Jesus' follower what it means to be a Christian, how Christians should live and love and act. And it's got to be some of the scariest bits of the Bible because most of us don't live like that. In fact, some Christians have declared it to be impossible and say we shouldn't even try. They say that Jesus was just pointing out how sinful we are by raising God's standards to encourage us to repent. I don't agree with that. I take Jesus at his word. And when he says, do this, I think he means that we should do it. Or at least try. We could spend days and weeks and months talking about the Sermon on the Mount and never come to an end of it. But at its heart, at its heart are some words that are very well known. The Our Father, the Lord's Prayer the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. So we turn this morning to Matthew chapter 5. As the children have read for us this morning, Jesus says, and when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray or if you decide to pray, but when you pray. It is Jesus assumes that we're going to pray. When you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, he says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Jesus says that there are those in his day who stood on the street corners and prayed or got up in the synagogue, the local congregation, and prayed publicly and loudly, and they did it for the benefit of the people listening. The people could look and go, what a holy person that is. That guy really knows how to pray. And Jesus says, that's not a good way to pray. If you're praying to impress Mrs. Smith in the back row, you're praying for the wrong purpose. Jesus says, when you pray, go to your room, close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. He encourages us to have an individual relationship with our Father. He says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is a benefit to prayer, Jesus says a personal reward, a personal reward for you and a benefit for the whole world when we pray. He tells us to pray in simple language. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. There are all kinds of pagan groups who pray in this way. There are people who write their prayers on little flags and then hang them out on strings, and they believe that every time the wind blows, their prayer is heard in heaven. 
Of course, in the 21st century, what they do is they write their prayers on the back of a CD and put it in the CD player and it spins 100 times a minute and their prayer is heard in the heavens 100 times a minute. Jesus says that's nonsense. Don't keep on babbling with the pagans. They just think they're going to be heard because of their many words. He says, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's a very strange verse uh, for me because I often have thought for many years, well, if God knows what I need before I ask him, then why do I have to bother to ask him? If God knows what I need, why tell him? There are different ways of praying and different ways of asking for things. And some of that can be problematic, I think. People in the church sometimes beg God, gimme, gimme, gimme. God, 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 I'm begging you. And they go on and they ask and they ask and they ask and they ask and they ask. I think that's probably not great, but on the other, because they're going to babble like the pagans. But at the other extreme are the people who go, well, God knows what he's doing. I'll just leave it all up to him. There's got to be somewhere between the gimme, gimme, gimme babbling of the pagans and the God knows what he's about. They don't bother to ask at all. Because Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So ask him. Ask him. We get this picture of God sitting up there in heaven saying, on this side, saying, well, I'd like to give you this good thing, but beg a bit more. Ask a bit more. Maybe eventually I'll give it to you. And on this other side, a bunch of people saying, well, God is all good and loving. Wouldn't he just give me all the good stuff he has for me? Why do I have to ask him? And if the things I ask for are wrong, he's not going to give them to me anyway. And if the things I'm asking for are right, then he should already know that and he should give them to me. So why bother asking? Why pray? It's often said in Christian circles, if God God knows, why ask? We often say in Christians that God is sovereign. He's in control. He runs the whole universe. I'm sure you've heard this. The Christians who say that God is sovereign. So he already knows in advance what he's going to do and he's already arranged it all exactly how he wants it to be. So why pray? And they say, well, we don't pray to change God because that can't happen. We don't pray to change our circumstances because God's already lined it up exactly how he wants it to be. So we pray to change ourselves. You might have heard this. We don't pray to change God or to change our circumstances, but to change ourselves. That sounds very pious, but it's not very Christian. Because for a start, if God is so sovereign that everything is exactly how he wants, then why doesn't he just make me the way he wants me to be? Or worse, maybe I am exactly the way God wants me to be which is bad news for all of you, I can tell you. These people have such a small view of God. And their small view of God is that everything is exactly how God wants it to be because God is sovereign. He's all-powerful and almighty and therefore everything must be exactly how he wants it to be. Friends, I am all-powerful and all-sovereign in my house. I am the biggest and the strongest for a few more years at least. I'm stronger than all of my children and my wife, probably not combined. I'm also a little bit smarter than them too, just quietly, just quietly. I've got more degrees than my wife, but only I think by one. I'm not sure. You better add that three undergrads. I've got got a postgrad, so I'm smarter than you. All right. Anyway, my point is, in my household, I am sovereign. 
Does that mean that every piece of Lego in my house is exactly where I want it to be? No. Never. (laughs) Because although I am all sovereign and all powerful in my household, I want my kids to play with the Lego and do with it what they want. I bought it for them to play with, not for me to have it all perfectly arranged. We can certainly say that God is sovereign. He is big, he is huge, he is powerful, and he lets his people make decisions. His sovereign choice is that we get to make decisions. We get to play in the sandpit. We get to play with the Lego. And sometimes we leave it in the hallway and other people tread on it. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad choices. But God is still sovereign, even if not every Lego brick is exactly where he'd want it to be. Does that make sense or have I confused you? Makes sense to you, Fred. I'm glad. This idea that we pray not to change God or to change circumstances, but change ourselves is nonsensical when we read the Scripture because the Scriptures tell us to pray so that things will change, so that God will act, so that people will be healed. In James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus says, prayer is powerful, the prayer of a a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he's talking about praying for the sick. He's encouraging us to pray for the sick because he says when you pray for the sick, they get better. Not all the time in our experience, but when you pray for the sick, they get better. James says prayer is powerful and effective. And in the Lord's Prayer itself, we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray this way because guess what? Things on earth ain't the way God wants them to be. Things on earth ain't the way they are in heaven. He says to pray that God's kingdom would come and change this world and make it right. And we have a part to pray. Every Sunday when we gather here and we say these words, we're asking for God to intervene in our world and make it right. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So why do we pray? Because our prayers make a difference. It's not just about reforming my heart, it's about changing the world. It's not about trying to twist God's arm to do what we want, but it's about us getting in agreement with God, getting lining up with his will, partnering with him. By God's design, by his sovereign design, prayer is used to bring God's will into effect in the world. Prayer makes a difference. And lack of prayer makes a big difference. In Ezekiel chapter 22, God is looking out at his nation of Israel and seeing that everything has gone to pot. It's all falling apart. He says through the prophet, he says, the people of the land practice extortion. They commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and they ill-treat the foreigner, denying them justice. God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. God looks out at this nation 
that are doing all the wrong things and going the wrong way and leading away from him. And he says, and I looked for someone who would pray. And there wasn't anyone. And the nation was destroyed. The Babylonians came in. The God, the people's Israel pushed God away. They rejected him. And God removed his protection. And the Babylonians came in and destroyed them, took them into, into exile and all the rest of that. God left them to the consequences of their choices. God didn't want to do it. He was looking for someone who was praying, someone who was interceding, someone who was calling out, but there wasn't anyone. And so Jerusalem was destroyed. The ultimate cause was a lack of prayer. Huge things hang in the balance when we pray. The Bible has a lot of if-then statements about prayer. If then is a logical thing. If this happens, then that. So, for instance, in Second Chronicles chapter seven, it's perhaps the most famous of these, where God says, "If my people, if they're called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear for heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I will heal their land." God says, "If they pray, I'll do this." I'll do these good things. Why would God set up the universe in this way? Why? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I think it comes down to the fact that God is a relational God, a God of love. And therefore, everything God does is in relationship. He works with us and through us. He gives us our right to say yes or no. He lets us play with the Lego. He lets us have our little part of the universe that we have a say over, a domain of influence. And how you speak and act and think affects everything else in that domain of influence. We sometimes call it free will. Although the early Methodists didn't call it free will, they just called it will. Because there's no such thing as non-free will. You've either got it or you ain't. Will. Can you make a decision? And God says to his people, I've made you so you can make choices. Now, let's make good choices together. God's hope and plan is that we will bring our will, our say-so, under his will, under his say-so. God wants us to recognize him as God and get in line with him and be his partners. This is a repeated idea throughout the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. As God's fellow workers, God wants to partner with you and me. He wants to go into business together. God and sons, reconcilers. That's a different message. The word here for fellow workers is the Greek word synageo, which I've talked about here many, many times. Synageo, translated as fellow workers in the English. It comes from the Greek syn, S-Y-N, not S-I-N. Syn means to go with or together. So we synchronize our watches or we synthesize different kinds of music. We mix things together. We do things together. And then ergon, energy or work. Synageo means those who work with God. 
God wants to work with us, not independently of us. We bring what we can do alongside God to work with him, to partner with him. Our decisions have implications, consequences, on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. The Bible talks about us having authority in Christ. We are the children of God. We are his heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We have some say-so in how the world works. Not as much as God. He's much, much bigger than us. And perhaps not over the whole world, but over our little patch of the world. We have some say-so. God has given us some authority. And he wants us to exercise that authority. God has set up the universe in such a way that when we speak with God and when we ask for things in accordance with his will, then God releases his power, his influence, and he intervenes in our world. You know, it's um, common in churches to have two signatures on a bank account. And a lot of organizations like this. So Doug is the treasurer, I'm the pastor. If we want to spend money, Doug and I have to agree. Because otherwise I'd go off and buy all kinds of crazy things and there'd be no money left. So Doug's there to tell me no. And I'm here occasionally when Doug, very, very, very rarely when Doug says we're going to do this. And I go, oh, I'm not sure about that, Doug. That never happens, by the way. We both have to sign. Yes, we both have to sign for the money to move to the next place. Perhaps you have a checkbook. You might remember old days of checkbooks used to have two signatures on them. Well, when the pastor in my previous churches, it's never happened here, but in a previous church, before I'd go on holidays, the treasurer would say, look, just sign a couple of checks so that we can send, spend money while you're away. And I trusted my treasurer and I did it. In a similar way, God says to us, here, sign on this dotted line. And if you sign there, I'll sign here and then things will get happening. Things will be done. But if we don't talk to God, if we don't speak to him, if we don't ask him for the things he knows we need, he's not going to sign his half of the check. He wants partners. He wants to work with us. Are there any questions here this morning? I don't see any hands for those visiting with us. I like to stop and see if there are questions. My phone number's there. My email address is there. I'd love to discuss these things with you if you've got questions. So this is just an introduction saying that prayer is powerful and important. If prayer was just about changing me, then a New Year's resolution would be just like my New Year's resolution to lose weight or to be fitter, or to take different holidays. Because self-improvement is hard. So if prayer is just about changing me, then maybe I can't be bothered. You know, I'm happy the way I am. I'm pretty good. Let's just leave it aside. But prayer isn't just about changing me. It's about changing the world. It's about changing my community, my neighborhood. It's about praying for those who are sick, those who are dying. It's about having God intervene in our world. Prayer is much more than just a new fad diet. It's the most important way we can make a difference. And it's necessary 
for our hearts and minds. You know, we have a great big God. He is full of power and energy and amazingness. And so a song that I'm going to sing, would like to sing to reflect on this morning, talks about God's willingness to pour out his passion, his energy, his grace as we face challenges. This is a lovely old hymn. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials he multiplies peace. The last verse says, When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Let us resolve this year to come to him in prayer, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for this brand new year, a year of opportunities. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. Father God, I pray that you would place it on our hearts to speak to you, to communicate to you, to call out to you to stand in the breach, to be people who pray. Father God, speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' great and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.